0: This scripture reading and the following address were part of the YouTube streamed worship video by St Paul's Lutheran Church, Box Hill, Victoria, Australia, on April 3rd, 2022. For more information, visit www.stpaulsboxhill.org.au. The Gospel according to John, Chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So that fragrance has. Marlene said, filled the whole house. And as the children have come back amongst us, our house too is um, more and more filled with that beautiful fragrance. The expensive perfume filled the house as Mary anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. Is it a waste, this year's worth of wages of um, beautiful uh, aroma? Is it poor stewardship, would you say? Should it have been used elsewhere? Or is this extravagant act of Mary something more of a living out of faith in Jesus? What do you say? Well, before I'm going to give you the opportunity to answer, I think it might be good if we pray. Let's pray, shall we? Loving God, we thank you for your extravagant love For us and for the world. As we dwell in your word this morning and as we sit at the home of Lazarus as we do so, pour out your spirit on us that we may receive your rich grace for our lives and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Because we do gather in that house, don't we? And as as I say, especially as the children come back amongst us, we get something of the the aroma of what might have been going on in the home of Lazarus. We're in John chapter 12. And you might remember, or if you don't have uh, this at your memory, have a look at John's gospel this week. Because in John chapter 11, Jesus has just raised this Lazarus from the dead. And just a few verses earlier, we hear Martha say um, to Jesus, as Lazarus um, lies dead, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead for four days. The foul smell of death, and don't we know it, in the times of our grief. But this stench is replaced by a beautiful aroma of life anew. The aroma of life, I think, fills the house as Mary anoints Jesus for his soon coming death, as Marlene pointed out to us. For in this death, Jesus will bring this aroma of life, not just to one house, but to the world and for all who will receive him. And I think that's something of what's going on here with Mary in receiving Jesus for her. In faith, she takes, I think, a huge risk. In faith, she takes a huge step. She anoints Jesus. The risks that she takes, just let me enunciate those a little bit for us. In wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, the the very mere act of unbinding her long hair um, is something that no self-respecting keeper of Jewish law woman would have done in, in that space. But Mary does it. Mary simply does it. She acts out of faith in the presence of this Jesus. She uncorks the very best of the nard, of expensive perfume, to anoint Jesus, preparing him, as Marlene also said, for his coming death. It's an extravagant and yet a very humble act of devotion. Living out our faith in the presence of the extravagant giver of life, the aroma of grace and life. Jesus, who will give his life for you and for me and for the world. I think, dear friends, in Christ, and that's who we are, there's a place for extravagance in faith. Whether it's impulsive, whether it's in planned, or planned, I should say, acts of extravagant mercy, acts of extravagant kindness, acts of extravagant generosity, acts of extravagant love in the great love chapter if you will of um, 1st Corinthians where Paul talks of love in 1st Corinthians 13 in the message as we come to the end of that chapter Paul exhorts the Corinthians to love extravagantly love extravagantly unconditionally love in serving for the sake of loving the other what is your response to the love of God to the presence of Jesus for you for me for us are we able to take risks are we able to act out of the fullness of God when I reflected a little bit on Mary's humble but amazing extravagant love and, and uh, act of devotion it reminded me of a story that some of you might have uh, revisited in recent times Um, Babette's Feast. I don't know if you've uh, looked at the movie again or maybe you know the story. I'm gonna try in these next few minutes to give you a bit of a précis, at least from my perspective of this wonderful story. It's a a story that was written um, for a mid 19th century audience. So if that's your genre time, I thoroughly recommend it to you. It was also made it into a movie in the 1980s um, Babette's Feast. Hands up if you do happen to know the story or know the book or the movie. Oh, many of you. Okay. It's not specifically a Christian story, is it? But it and it can be interpreted in all sorts of ways and all sorts of depths, I think. But at one, at one level, I think, it is, for me, a story of pure and extravagant grace and gives me something of the aroma and the flavour of God's grace. So the book takes place, the story takes place in a fictional town in the book. It's in Norway in the film. They've moved to Denmark for some reason, and I'm not going to try and unpack that, mid-19th century. Central to the story are two sisters, Martine and Philippa. Now, it probably doesn't take us long to get into the story to recognise that Martine is named after probably Martin Luther, because their father is a pastor, a very pious mid-19th century pastor. Philippa named after Philip Melanchthon, both of these you know, heroes, if you will, of the faith during the times of the Reformation. They grow up and live this very pious and loyal life to their father. And he's very protective of them, keeps the, uh, the suitors away. Um, and they serve in the community with him. The sisters never marry and they continue their lives of serving after their father dies. Into their lives comes this unexpected one, this babette. She comes to them in great fear. She comes to them um, on the run. She's been recommended to come to these sisters by someone who knows them. and I'm not gonna unpack that part of the story, which is quite long. But she comes and she tells the sisters she's got nowhere else to go, nowhere to turn. Her husband and son, indeed, have been shot in the violence of civil war taking place in France. And she is in mortal danger. She pleads the sisters that she might come and work for them. But they've got meagre means, and they can't afford to pay her. So she says, I'll work for you for lodging and food. And they agree. 12 years pass. 12 wonderful years, Babette serves in the home of the sisters. They serve the community. She endears herself to the whole village. And her life in France is basically not referred to. And then, and then one day, Babette mentions that she has this lottery ticket, this French lottery ticket that a friend keeps renewing for her each year, hoping that one day she might win the Grand Prix, the grand prize of 10,000 francs. Around this time, the centenary of the the sisters' father's birth is approaching. And the sisters plan to do something in honor of their father's memory. They're going to hold a small meal in their home and invite the townspeople, the members of the flock, um, to come and have this meal in remembering the 100th anniversary of the birth of their father. Now the flock needs some unpacking and explaining. They had been faithful in gathering in the home of the pastor in his life, but ever now fewer in number, aging, getting more and more cranky, and harbouring long-held grudges amongst themselves, the prospect of this dinner for the sisters was pretty daunting as their father's 100th birthday grew closer, what's more, some more interesting unexpected things happened. Babette receives a letter from France. The first, in fact, that she'd received in all of the time she'd been living in the village these 12 years and then some. And voila, she had won the lottery. The 10,000 francs was hers and she'd been holding out for so long for this. And the news soon spread in this small town, this small village, And the village people were beginning to lament, surely she's going to go back home to France. And there's a beautiful quote in the book that says, birds will return to their nests and human beings to the country of their birth as the townspeople begin their lament. They fear Babette's imminent departure and they love her. They're going to miss her. The sisters, of course, dreaded this even more than than the others and they wondered whether Babette would even stay for this anniversary dinner of their father's birth. The surprises just keep coming because to their amazement, Babette comes to them and says, well actually she begins to implore them, can I cook a meal, the meal for this celebration as you want to honor your father? And as I say, the sisters hadn't intended much, a very simple meal, plain dinner, but eventually they agree. And then Babette says, well, She wishes to pay for this dinner out of her lottery winnings. Well, very generous. The sisters protest, but Babette insists, because in all of the 12 years that she's been with them, she's never asked for anything. And so they agree. Babette then embarks on a journey, telling the sisters she's going to be away for seven to 10 days to make some preparations for this dinner. She's going to buy the goods for the celebration. What's going on? Well in due time she returns and shortly thereafter all of these things start arriving in this village. Wheelbarrow loads of fine wine begin to arrive in the little house along with all manner of um, fine and exotic ingredients for a feast. The day of the feast finally arrives. The guests begin to assemble. The table is laden with the finest of things. A young lad assists Babette serving the guests one course after another of the most exquisitely prepared dishes. Wines are decanted, glasses kept full. The elderly celebrants who usually spurned anything but the simplest of foods were largely silent as they eat and drink everything that's set before them in this abundant meal. And rather than growing heavy with it, the atmosphere lightens. And more importantly, as they eat and as they drink, miracles, well, maybe they're not big miracles, but miracles nonetheless occur. Old grudges start to be brought up, but forgiven. Rifts are healed. And again, the book t- puts it this way, time itself Time itself had merged into eternity, that place of God in the lives of people. The pastor's daughters and the townspeople experienced something that words were inadequate to describe. Babette's feast was not only an incredible success, but something of a miracle of grace. As the guests finish, they go out into the town square, join hands, and they sing. Exist, uh, uh, Babette sits at the back exhausted. She'd given her all, both physically and financially. And yet she's being pictured as someone who's very content and satisfied in serving these people. It's an amazing little story. So was she going to return to France as they all feared? The answer is no, her home is here among them. People in the town had assumed that Babette would return to France a wealthy woman. But they learned something even more amazing, that Babette tells them that she was once a very famous chef in Paris at one of the finest restaurants, the Café Anglais, and that the actual price of the meal that she prepared was, as you might now start to realise or guess, 10,000 francs, the whole amount of the prize money of the lottery served to these villages with the finest fare. Dear friends, the extravagance of grace in this meal brings miraculous change in the lives of those who receive it. Hospitality, the gift of grace. Mary, At Jesus' feet. What about us who sit at Jesus' feet too? Jesus will soon go from Mary's home to the place of the Last Supper and then to the place where he he will give his all. His life. Give up his being God to give his life as true God and true human on a cross for you and for me. To exchange that stench of death and bring for us the gift the promise of life eternal the psalmist says in psalm 34 taste taste and see that the lord is good and this morning our lord will invite us to his table to taste and receive the good the extravagance of forgiveness the blessing of life Holy week with the journey to the cross and the gift of sacrificial love beckoned for us and for Jesus too. How will you respond? How will we respond? Is it with our leftovers? Is it out of, I don't know, our anger, our nothingness? Well, being emptied and being filled by this Jesus, this aroma of life is a good place to start if you're struggling in your life at this stage. How will we live our life of faith? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That's the procession we'll join in this Holy Week next Sunday, from Palm Sunday onwards. Prepare for the Feast of Holy Week and be part of it, dear friends. And Paul goes on, and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. Thank you, children, today for being that fragrance amongst us. For we, we all, breathe it in, are the aroma of Christ. Fill the room with faith. Fill the world with grace. Amen. And may God's peace guard and keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.